and welcome hey. to the Sound of Design <laughs> with Mark and Dan. And uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us on today's episode. Uh, we are very excited uh, to have you with us and uh, just want to say a quick note. I do apologize. Uh, last week, it looks like we had a little bit of technical difficulty uh, with the Josh Gwynn episode. Um, some of you got only half of that. So uh, we will post an updated version on the audio only uh, for you to get the other half of that. And so we'll kind of make that into a part two. Uh, so please be on the lookout. If you didn't get all of that, the full thing is available on the YouTube channel. Uh, so feel free to check out the Sound of Design with Mark and Dan on YouTube in order to find uh, that alternate uh, and the other half of that uh, episode. Uh, that being said... Thanks for uh, being loyal listeners, and uh, please uh, click subscribe, uh, tell your friends, do all the social things, uh, including uh, <laughs> checking us out on Spotify, uh, reach out to us at The Sound of Design if you have questions, um, and uh, again, a very, very, very big thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, you guys are awesome and have made this truly, truly enjoyable and a lot of fun to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great, actually. So, uh, without further ado, uh, today's episode is going to be all about what's the difference. Um, we have, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, found that a lot of times technology has a tendency to have terms that are very confusing. And it's actually kind of unfair because... When you think about the way that a marketing person has to try and introduce a new technology, a lot of times the terms are very uh, ubiquitous. They get used very similarly. And so one of them is wireless. And it's like there's 19 different applications for wireless, right? <laughs> um, and so what happens is you walk in uh, to a place, you're having a conversation and you're like, yeah, I want to do this thing. And I want to do something wireless. And then before you know it, uh, you're going down some rabbit trail and it's like, you know, that's not at all <laughs> what I was thinking about or what I was hoping for. And so how do we maybe clarify some of the terms or some of the common misconceptions uh, for technology uh, today? So uh, we'll go through a, a couple of these and I think it'll get us into a, some really good places, quite honestly. So the first one that we wanted to cover was Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. <laughs> so uh, very basically, Mark, could you give us kind of a breakdown as to the difference between uh, those two technologies uh, and why they're different and why we should try and keep those terms uh, separated? Yeah. So um, when it comes to those technologies, Bluetooth is typically a one to one a limited wireless communication. Um, so what I mean by that is that it's designed to either transfer audio or some sort of signal from a device to a set of headphones or maybe from you know some of the newer televisions you'll see something like from a TV to a, a, a sound bar. Um, it's meant to be, you know, very close range transmission um, compared to wireless, which or Wi-Fi, which utilizes your wireless network in your home in order to transmit those same signals. Um, 
biggest difference is that with Wi-Fi, you get almost no compression depending on what you're sending, right? Uh, and you your only limitation is the distance that your network reaches. So if we're talking about wireless audio transmissions, you can transmit those, you know, across your 2,000 square foot home from you could be in your bedroom and send sound all the way down to your living room on the other side of the house. Yep, absolutely. And I'm really glad you said Bluetooth the way you did, which is one to one. I think that's the absolute most critical and short range. That's the critical difference to me uh, is that if I have something like a computer and I want to hook up a wireless keyboard to it, you know, Bluetooth as a technology kind of makes sense. I have a device, my keyboard's right next to it, or my mouse, uh, I've got a little Bluetooth speaker. Yeah, absolutely. I'm within you know five or 10 feet of my phone. I don't need to go bounce a signal through a router <laughs> in order to get that back right to, to the device. Um, and I think that technology is pretty good, especially in the audio. It's gotten a lot better. There's a lot of different variations. And I think mm -hmm. the most recent variation on Bluetooth sounds from an audio perspective actually pretty decent. It's not perfect, but it sounds pretty decent. Um, it's definitely listenable. And so um, I definitely think that's a great way to say it. But you kind of touched on something with uh, Wi-Fi and with the wireless. You said that it was maybe un uncompressed. So could you tell me a little bit more about that concept versus Bluetooth, uh, specifically when it comes to audio? Because I, sure. I don't think it makes a difference on my computer, does it? Uh, as far as Bluetooth transmission from your computer to your headphones? Yeah, or like, you know, just Wi-Fi in general. It's like, is there sure. is there any kind of like, it, what's the difference in audio compared to, say, everything else that we would look at for that technology? Sure. So I mean, there is some compression with Bluetooth. And, and what we mean by compression is when it takes the signal from your device, let's say your phone, right? And you want to play music to your headphones. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to decode that signal and send it over the air in a smaller package. And then the device that it gets to is going to try to take that and unpack it and keep all of the detail that you had from this, this point. Um, over wireless, yes, there are still packets and packages sent, but that compression is typically lesser or there's not very much of it, so you don't have a lot of unpacking to do. Uh, it's as close to a wired connection as you're going to get, especially as we've gotten into uh, higher-end levels of sound like um, hi-fi resolutions and things like that. Yep, absolutely. So like DSD formats and yes. FLAC files and all of these uh, really large file sizes that contain a ton of information, a ton of mm -hmm. detail. And so if I have a big audio file that I've downloaded from HD tracks or I'm listening from, you know, title in a, you know, high resolution format like FLAC, and mm -hmm. I run that through Bluetooth, um, and I just noticed this the other day, Tidal will actually put on their quality listing, if you're connected with a Bluetooth connection, your audio is being compressed. You're not getting the mm -hmm. full, <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. It was like this pop-up that happened. I was like, what is this? It's like, oh, <laughs> you used Bluetooth. Uh, you're not going to hear all of the things that we're sending you. Um, 
so it's it's pretty incredible actually when you think about the difference now is bluetooth convenient yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> i mean i couldn't imagine going for a run and still having a wire attached to my headphones because i'd tear that thing out or i'd rip them off my head every every 10 seconds so yeah. it's definitely great uh for that convenience factor if i'm not looking for critical listening um but if i'm going to be critical listening or something along those lines i'm going to either do it over wi-fi or hardwire in yep absolutely and i i'm glad you said critical because uh critical listening because critical listening I think uh, from an industry perspective means I sit down to enjoy it. Like that is yep. my main purpose. That's all it means. It yeah. doesn't mean you got to sit there and, you know, analyze every tiny little detail, but rather just to say like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put a record on and we're going to have a glass of wine or uh, we're going to put a record on and smoke some cigars or something like that. Or we're having a party or watching a game like yep. that. I want, that means that's the main attraction. So why would I want to limit that in using a Bluetooth format, right? Right, so. right, right. And, and you know, I think, you know, if we're talking 15 years ago, um, like you were saying earlier, uh, and we were listening to an MP3 that we downloaded onto our computer into iTunes, you uh, know, that was at, you know, <laughs> 2.4 kilobits per, you know, per second. Yep. Uh, Bluetooth was great back then, especially, but now, you know, I think... Uh, a lot of folks don't know what they're missing until they hear it, right? Yep. Um, you, you just mentioned earlier with Tidal, I had the same thing with Apple Music the other day, um, and uh, this was playing through my Sonos system at my house. Um, but I typically listen to Spotify when I'm driving around, and then I'll use Apple Music at home. Um, and I listen to the same song that I had earlier on Spotify, and it was night and day difference. <laughs> <laughs> just blew me away and you know it's just one of those things where i use i love spotify's playlists and things like that out of convenience as well it's just you know i don't have to worry about data usage while i'm driving even though it's unlimited now but whatever uh, <laughs> uh but it, it is a night and day difference even in my car i switched over to apple music with my wife over the weekend just listened to it, the same track and you know even it was bluetooth but it was so much better so yeah well, and I think that gets us kind of moving into the next uh, one of our, you know, misconceptions or categories of technology mm -hmm. that get confused all the time. Um, and that is the difference between uh, sound bars and surround sound. And there's even a further subset, I think, in there, which is the difference between what we'll call a multi-channel stereo and a true surround sound format. So uh, first things first, let's just talk about the difference between sound bars and surround sound because you see it all the time, right? Like this has got Dolby Atmos in a sound bar and you're going, scratching your head going like, okay, that sort of makes sense. But at the same time, it totally doesn't make sense. Uh, and then conversely, right, you could look at a, a, a surround sound system and maybe not even get surround sound if you don't have enough speakers. So kind of break down those two categories for us first and uh, and we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, sound bars, when I when I started in the industry like 15 years ago, there was a Samsung sound bar and a Yamaha soundbar and that was pretty much it and the Yamaha soundbar was huge yeah it was like it was like a foot tall and 
50 inches wide and it had 14 tweeters in it. It was incredible. Um, but that being said, you know, it sound bars have become kind of a staple in the industry um, to kind of give you that better sound than what your display can. Uh, and the reason they've they've become so popular is because display speakers have just gotten worse and worse over the years because everybody wants a TV, you know, uh, a millimeter thick and, you know, it sit flat to the wall. Uh, so everybody makes sound bars now, but there are some pretty critical differences between just a standard sound bar that you might go and buy from a store with the TV versus surround sound. And that's how it's able to playback the audio that you're listening to. So you mentioned Atmos a moment ago. That's, you know, we've talked about it on early episode, earlier episodes. One of the biggest changes I ever saw in my system going to Atmos, adding those additional height channels. But you go in and there's a, a Samsung soundbar that says Dolby Atmos on it, and it's 300 bucks. Oh, great. I'm going to get that. No, not really. What it's saying is that it's capable of processing that signal. So bringing in the signal and then decoding it to where it can play the sound scaled down similar to how Bluetooth was earlier, right? So that Samsung $300 soundbar is what we would call a two-channel soundbar in most cases, or 2.1, because it's going to have a sub. So it's going to take in, you know, seven or nine channels worth of signal from your Atmos track, and then it's going to cram them all in and say, all right, these are going to go to this speaker, and these are going to go to that speaker, and that's it. Yep. Um, so it's going to compress that sound. What does that mean for you? It means you're going to lose detail and you're probably going to have to turn it up louder to hear what people are saying because it's going to split dialogue between the two speakers versus having a dedicated speaker. Yep. Which brings us to surround sound. So maybe you want to take up surround sound, Dan. Sure. Well, and I think surround sound is got a fundamental difference and you, and you sort of touched on it. It's the format, right? But in a surround sound, you have a dedicated speaker in a physical location in the room that is not necessarily the front, right? And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the whole point is there's a speaker in the back. There's a speaker in the ceiling. Uh, there's actually a physical device there generating the sound. And that is tied back to a traditional tuner or AVR or receiver. We're going to talk about those terms in just a second. But a surround sound audio video receiver that decodes all of those channels and is actually wired to those speakers. And that gets us, I think, into the whole crux of the issue here is how you play back a format. If you think about the way that a movie is mixed or mastered, right, you're going to find that the sound engineers Okay, and this is true at Skywalker Ranch or at any of the big post houses, honestly, any of the big movie studios, Warner Brothers, Sony, like you name it. They, they all have a dedicated movie theater with speakers that are in specific locations so that way they can make the decision. How much sound effect do I need when I'm doing this helicopter sound as it whooshes around the room or these laser beams as they get shot? at Obi-Wan Kenobi and we're trying to figure out like where are these things going? Well, they make all of those decisions. So to take all that information and squash it into a soundbar that only has speakers in the front means that you don't get that sense of space. You're not in a movie theater like ex 
environment anymore. You're trying to push all that information up at the front. And so to give you an illusion that some of that stuff is happening, they do some really interesting engineering. Um, and a lot of it's very impressive. Don't get me wrong. But they got to do some amazing engineering to make it work. It's not how it should be. They have to go through all these hoops and do all this math and do all this decoding and all this DSP, all this processing to try and make you think that it's doing those things. And they might get you every once in a while, but it kind of is a, uh, a case, I think, where you're trying to force or shoehorn something in to kind of make it work instead of just doing it right the first time, like just. Put a speaker in the back if you want to hear the sound come from the back. Put a speaker in the ceiling if I want to have the sound come from the ceiling. It's like it just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I just learned this legal term called puffing, and that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, oh, we can do Atmos from a sound bar. It's like, uh, yep. sort of, you know, that, that makes your sound bar look really cool, but it's not really the same thing. And so we have to kind of decode the marketing and the puffing. And really think about it, you know, how is that going to be the same? It just can't be. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree. So tell me a little bit about then the formats, because you sort of touched on it. 2.1, uh, you mentioned for a soundbar. And then you also mentioned uh, the surround sound format, which we talked about a little bit at most, right? Um, mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about those two and, and what the differences in the formats are so that way sure. we can design or think through what type of system we would want to have based upon what we're watching. Sure. So when you go back to that soundbar that's 2.1, it's going to sound great when we're playing music through it. Why? Because most music outside of the spatial audio and, and Atmos tracks that are now coming along um, – is mixed in two channels. So it's designed to give you that two-speaker experience. Uh, your next step up uh, in between that is going to be a three-channel soundbar, which kind of takes, if you remember earlier I was talking about the dialogue, it gives you a speaker that's going to do that dialogue, but then those other speakers are still doing, you know, three or four other speakers' jobs at the same time. Um, so... So on and so forth. You get to the next one, five channels, seven channels. Those are going to add surround speakers uh, in the rear. Atmos, uh, as we've discussed on earlier episodes, is multi-channel audio, um, typically at a higher bit rate, meaning there's less compression, kind of like we were talking about earlier with Bluetooth versus Wi-Fi. Yep. Less compression in the audio track um, to allow for more channels. And those all those speakers, instead of being a discrete, like, hey, the sound's coming from the left or from the the height, the, the right height or the right rear. Atmos is mixed to where it uses all those speakers together and puts the sound specifically inside of a space in the room. So if I wanted a sound to hit right here above my head and I'm the guy mixing the film or the audio for the film, I can utilize that software to place that sound and let's say i had four speakers in the ceiling all four of those speakers are going to work together to place that sound here yes which is pretty impressive it's and if you've not heard a demo the first time i heard it was like the raindrops on the roof thing i may have even yep. talked about this before but it was literally <laughs> like being in a tin roof house like out in the country somewhere and rain dropping on the roof it was incredible absolutely well and the other format that you might find you know in terms of the difference and why it would you'd want to use one versus another 
I think really comes down more to the dialogue and the space experience. And so if I'm going to watch a movie by myself or, you know, with my wife and kids and we're all in, you know, sitting in the couch and we're in our spots and then, you know what? I think having something in a surround sound or a Dolby Atmos format makes sense because I want to have that sound experience move around me. Right. Because I'm stationary. I'm in that main listening position. I'm in the sweet spot and I want to hear everything in relation to that spot. But there's other times when I want to host a party, for example. And, you know, we just had uh, the big game. Right. So if you have a bunch of people over and, and when that happens, you want to be able to have the sound evenly distributed throughout that space. So if you put a multi-channel stereo system in where or format in, excuse me, I should use the correct terms. This is exactly the problem. <laughs> this is why we're doing this. It's exactly what yep. we're talking about. Yep. Uh, if I put my receiver into multi-channel stereo, uh, then that format takes the dialogue, it takes the music, it takes the sound effects, and it distributes them evenly to all the speakers. And this means that now if I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room, I'm hearing the sports cast announcer's voice as opposed to in a surround sound it would only be at the front i'm on the other side near the bar i can still hear the sportscaster i can hear the crowd i can hear the music i hear everything i've got that dun 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 going right and i'm happy because i i can hear that and i don't have to turn the volume up as loud i can have a conversation with somebody still hear what's going on and still be engaged even though it's no longer me sitting in that main listening position getting that sweet spot kind of an experience so yep. I, I think you want to think through how you're going to use the space and it's not always going to be one or the other right and that's the point a lot of receivers a lot of avrs are going to give you that option to do either surround sound right main listening position things on discrete channels or you can put it in multi-channel stereo to get that even distribution sound uh, for when you're watching sports or the news or, you know, a TV drama. Maybe it doesn't have a lot of action. It's a lot of dialogue. And I just want to hear it, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of an idea. For sure. For sure. And also, you know, a lot of folks will refer to um, multi-channel as surround sound. Uh, I think that's kind of what we wanted to get to. And what the difference is, is that, you know, I've been to so many houses where you walk in and or maybe we put a new system in and they're like, hey, I can't hear the dialogue back here. You know, when when you put it in normal surround sound decoding for Atmos, you shouldn't expect to hear that. You should be like you said earlier, you should be at the center and hearing everything that you're watching going on around you versus just hearing all the voices coming around you. Um, so uh, the other thing is that I've heard people refer to as surround sound is distributed audio around the house, which typically is multi-channel stereo, just not in the same room. Yep. Absolutely. And that is really, when you think about it, multi-channel stereo was designed to give you a distributed concept um, in a mm -hmm. smaller scale, right? Uh, yep. Before you had dedicated distributed audio amplifiers right that could power eight speakers or 16 speakers all from one chassis like you had to get a receiver that was 20 years ago the way that they did it right 25 years yep. ago that's how it was done 
Um, and you, you, I've been to some homes where you'd see a stack, right? Two or three or, or four <laughs> old receivers, right? Trying to send sound out to all these different zones and all these different rooms. Um, and that's just not the way that we do it anymore. So it's like a carryover of those days. Um, now it's more about like what type of sound do you want and yep. how can we make sure we're using the gear in the best way possible? So, um, well, we've sort of danced around it, Mark. So can you give me a, a breakdown on... Uh, amplifier, receiver, and integrated amplifier. And uh, what's the difference between those three things? Sure. So um, we'll start with an amp because all three of these things have an amp in them of some sort. But an amp is specifically that it's designed to amplifier amplify multiple or a single speaker, depending on what type of amplifier it is. If it's a monoblock amp, it's designed to power one channel, one speaker. Um, if it's a two-channel amp, two speakers. If it's a multi-channel amp, just depends on how many channels that you need to power, whether it's five, seven, 16 whatever it is. Um, receiver is going to be typically uh, focused more around the surround sound crowd. Um, so utilized in a specific room that you're watching movies in. So it's going to have a preamp process or a processor with preamp, a tuner, typically AM FM radio. Yes, that still exists. Uh, and, and, uh, and the amplifier stage. So yeah. uh, the preamp processing is going to bring in the signals, uh, and then it's going to you know, convert a digital to an analog signal if it needs to and send the signal to the amplifier, and then the amplifier is going to power however many speakers you have connected. Um, and then an integrated amp uh, is something that we refer to typically around the stereo uh music listening crowd. So um, it's typically a preamp processor or just preamp side of things. No uh, video processing is done and typically just two channels. You might have four, like an A and B, depending on the age of the, the yeah, or the quality integrated or the quality. Um, but typically a, a mid tier or higher integrated amp is two channels, um, preamp for your audio inputs um and then amplifier powering the speakers yep and i like to think about the amplifier portion really as the power it's the engine that drives your speaker if the speaker's your tire right or your wheel then you got to think about well how's it getting its power and the amplifier is the piece that does that and mm -hmm. so you'll find amplifiers in sound bars why well because there's speaker drivers in a sound bar you'll find amplifiers in the receiver they'll be dedicated by themselves and so they're used all throughout if you have a speaker there's an amplifier connected to it some way shape or form um, and a lot of times and this is really i think the most critical part is that when you separate out the amplifier from the processing, for example, you can specialize what it is. You mentioned the monoblock, right, or the stereo amp um, or the multi-channel amp. It's like, well, yeah, now the engine part of my sound can be designed specific for the task that I want it to be for. And I don't necessarily have to pay for other things that I don't necessarily need. 
or I can get as much power as I would want to drive a particular set of speakers. So there's so many different reasons why I would say I want to keep my amplifiers separate, if at all possible, because quite honestly, I can get a better quality of amplifier. I can get a dedicated purpose out of it as opposed to putting it in the receiver. Now I've got the amplifier. Now I've got the processing and everything's all in one box. So again, for surround sound, very convenient, but I can't necessarily on most models um, separate out that amplifier from that processing. They're really designed to work together. You know, again, exceptions out there, but that's that's primarily it. Mm hmm. Um, and then, of course, music listening. So going back to that integrated concept, an integrated amp just means that preamp is built into it. So you just have to know what's that purpose. If it's just music, I have one in my studio right now. It's fantastic. I don't need a, uh, a surround sound system in a music recording studio. It's just not necessary. I only need two speakers. I have two speakers. I'm done. Like That's, that's all it's supposed to be for. Um, but I will say I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the pre-outs on it because integrateds typically will have the ability to upgrade that at some point and add another amplifier. Almost mm -hmm. every integrated will have a set of outputs. So if you wanted to add a better amplifier to it, a dedicated monoblock or a dedicated stereo amp or something like that, you'd have the ability to do that. So because of that flexibility and receivers, same kind of a thing, uh, the nicer receivers will have some of that flexibility you can get caught up really quickly with the terminology and each system kind of doing its own thing. So, uh, Mark, can you take us down uh, the processor versus preamp conversation? Because it's like we've used those almost interchangeably and they are really mm -hmm. technically two different things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is... You know, you'll hear them kind of interchanged, and the, but the biggest thing is, I I personally like to separate it between um, AV or just A or audio, right? So, uh, yep. your a processor is going to typically take in multiple audio and video signals from different sources. So, we would refer to uh, maybe like a Marantz. Um, yep. you know, their new AV 10, right? Uh, that is a processor. So it's going to take in HDMI connections, might take in older legacy video connections as well, but also multiple digital and analog audio. And it's going to process the video signals the way that it needs to. It's going to strip the audio from it and then send that to the preamp stage or, you know, well, typically there's not amplification built into those processors. So it's going to send it to the preamp out to then control volume and whatnot to each of those channels. Um, and those those connections are then going to run out to an amplifier. Yep. Um, the preamp portion is typically focused more on the audio side of things. Um, your more traditional integrated amps um, are just going to take in those signals, and then the preamp part of that is going to adjust the audio output to a separate amplifier or to the amplifier built in. Um, certain integrateds do have some processing through digital signals like, you know, optical or digital coax, but uh, it's still mainly referred to as a preamp. Yep. And I think the, the, the two distinctions I would say is that processors 
traditionally would be in a surround sound application, right? And you said it with video, but it's like, yeah, yeah. it's going it's yeah. to be mostly surround sound application. And preamp is going to be primarily stereo listening, right? It's music yep. listening. If I'm only listening to music, then I'm, then I'm looking at the preamp. And their functions, I think, are very similar, right? But the yeah. number of outputs, the types of signals that they can connect. And when we say signals, they can connect. It's what type of source. Well, with a, a dedicated music listening room, I might want to have a hookup for a CD player and a phonograph player, right? A turntable uh, or a streaming uh, player like a Blue Sound Node or a Sonos Port or something like that. Uh, I may want to hook up a computer, so I might have a USB input. And so before you realize it, that processor concept isn't really applicable because all I'm doing is listening to music. I don't need a processor. I need a preamp, right? Yep. And if I'm hooking up a Blu-ray player and an Apple TV and an Xbox and a PS5 and a cable box, <laughs> and a, <laughs> then you know what? Like, my, I don't need a preamp. I need a processor that's going to let me hook up all those things to my system, yep. right? So. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we've kind of covered a, a ton, to be quite honest, and I think knowing what you're designing the room for, right, what functions you're trying to do and how you want to kind of use that system, use that room sort of determines a lot of that stuff. So uh, let's go to um, kind of a, a parallel, which is uh, I've heard with control systems, they have different uh, languages uh, or different control protocols as well. And so this is one that gets confused all the time, uh, not so much by consumers as much as as professionals. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very easy for them to be confused. And that's uh, IR, IP, uh, and RS-232. So maybe walk me through what control means a little bit and what those languages or those protocols are. Um, and again, uh, probably more directed towards the professional than it is the uh, sure. the consumer. Sure. Yeah. So uh, IR is an infrared. Um, it's a line of sight signal that's been used forever for remote controls. Um, and that is a, um, I mean, man, we can scale all the way back to Bluetooth with us. It's a one, typically a one yep. to one <laughs> Uh, connection. It's it, but it's sending a signal out. It's gonna, you know, if I point my remote at my television or whatever it is, it's gonna be a a light that gets sent out to a little eye that's on your device, um, and that eye, if it picks up the signal, is gonna do what it tells it to do. It sends it a a specific command over that over that infrared signal. Um, with control systems, typically where most people get confused is it's not necessarily line of sight directly, but there's these little eyes that we'll put on different devices that there's a little line that runs back to a controller or a brain of some sort as part of a control system or a fancy universal remote control. Um, so IR, line of sight signal, one-way communication. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to skip IP for a second because it's it's kind of a, a, a well, we'll just go to we'll go to RS two thirty two. So RS two thirty two is a nine pin uh, serial data connection. Kind of looks like a, a, a it, it does. It looks exactly like VGA, but it's reversed. Yep. Um, and that is a two way communication protocol that we utilize a lot with our control systems to get feedback from the device that we're controlling. Uh, a lot of times uh, we'll use it with. Um, 
uh, AV receivers or processors or specific disc players or Kaleidoscape or, yep. or, or yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> so things like that, right? Oppo, RIP. Um, I have mine connected that way. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a two way communication protocol, which which is cool because I could send it like I could send my AV receiver a command and say, hey, turn the volume to 50. And it's going to turn the volume up to 50, and then it's going to tell my control system that, hey, I just told it to send the volume control to 50, and it did that, right? So now my control system's happy, and it's like, hey, okay, cool, it's doing what it needs to do. Um, that's essentially it. Um, you know, the same thing with, it, I mean, my television, most TVs I like to utilize serial control on. But a lot of things have transferred or transitioned to IP, Um so every device in your home that's connected to your network has an IP address and we can control it similar to how serial works over that IP connection. So I can send the signal or, con you know, whatever I want it to do, I can tell it, hey, switch to HDMI one over that IP address. And as long as that TV is still at that address, it's going to take it out, read the read the mail that I sent it and say, oh, I need to be on HDMI one. Yep. And then it's going to give you certain devices will send feedback. Certain ones won't just depends on what you're using, but AV receivers are really popular for this, uh, for utilizing that protocol and then wireless music systems as well. Yep, absolutely. And I was going to say, that's actually the number one reason why I think a lot more manufacturers are going to go to IP control is because that gives them this same ability to do two-way communication that RS-232 had, right, and still has, quite honestly. So it's so much more effective and has so much less issues because if the device doesn't do what it's supposed to, well, then the control system knows, oh, well, I need to send that command again, or we need to fix that, or there's an error, maybe we should reset this code or this command or whatever it happens to be. So it yeah. ends up doing what it's supposed to do, um, uh, a lot more effectively. It's not perfect. Nothing in the world is perfect. But if you just sh shoot out an IR signal, right? And some devices like that. Cable boxes, yeah, no problem. Um, you know, some Blu-ray players, uh, entry-level kind, for example. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. uh, typically you just send a remote command and they do what they're supposed to do. And, and one way is not a big deal. Um, but when it comes to uh, things like uh, your... Uh, to your point, the receiver, that makes a huge difference in how it your control system thinks about it. If you have mm -hmm. I, uh, an IR control, and we did this a couple weeks ago. There's a guy that we use some uh, uh, receivers for a variation on distributed audio because he had TVs. So he wanted surround sound and he wanted music. And so we kind of designed the system to do a little bit of both. And it started off where we had the receivers on IR control. So when you launch the app, he's got to tap the plus button in order to get the volume up because, well, the receiver only knows one way, right? The receiver doesn't even know what's going on. The control system mm -hmm. is just hoping and praying that it does that. So we get out there, we're reviewing it, and uh, we have the quick conversation. It's like, let's put that on IP control. We switch it over, and now there's a slide. And yep. you can control with your finger. You just slide up the volume, slide it down, and it's intuitive and it's easy to use. It's like if we could put everything on IP control, I think it would be so much better, quite honestly. No offense to RS-232. I think it was good for what it did, but I think everything's going to go IP eventually. Yeah. Now if everybody just had the right network, right? 
but we've <laughs> talked about that before. Oh man, that is that is it. That is it. Uh, well, I think the last thing that we want to cover then uh, is going to be uh, a little bit on uh, invisible, in wall, and in ceiling speakers. Um, and so maybe if you don't mind, give us a quick breakdown on that. We'll and we'll wrap up with. Uh, those three technologies and kind of what the main differences are uh, in those three speaker applications. Sure, sure. So I know we've talked a lot about audio on this podcast and, um, you know, the big thing that Dan and I have, have asked folks over the years is how do you want your sound to look? And we used to say invisible, um, meaning an in-wall or in-ceiling speaker, Um and what that is is a speaker that's cut into the wall or into the ceiling, um, typically about the depth of either a truss bay or a stud bay, depending on which one you choose. Yep. And it's going to have a white grill that gets magnetically attached to it, and it disappears into the space. Um, brands like Sonance, you know, we had uh, Ryan on here a few weeks ago. The great thing about those type of companies is that they would make the same you know, sound signature between an in-wall and an in-ceiling speaker. So if you had different architecture, you could you could put an in-wall in the front and in-ceilings in the rear, and you have the same speaker essentially, even though it's round at the back and rectangle at the front. Um, but now, and we've talked about it a few weeks ago, you do have invisible options, not just for music listening, but for surround sound. Yep. Uh, so invisible speakers now are going to be cut into the wall into the stud bay and mudded over and painted uh, to essentially disappear into the space but give you the end user the aesthetic appeal of give you give the aesthetic appeal of not seeing an actual speaker at all a grill or anything but getting that experience that you're wanting whether it be music or surround sound Yep, absolutely. And I'm glad that you kind of said it the way you did, because it's true. We would think and we would even say like, yeah, just let's put them in the wall. Let's put them in the ceiling, let them disappear. Uh, And that wasn't really fair. Right. Uh, An in-wall speaker doesn't necessarily disappear entirely. You can paint the grills. You can get them really close, uh, but you know that they're there. There's a slight frame to some of them, a small Mm -hmm. little bezel and uh, that magnetic grill. And uh, it does I think what it's supposed to at the price point that it is? Um, you can get an in-wall speaker or an in-ceiling speaker for five hundred dollars a pair. You know, to about a thousand dollars a pair, like in that range, um, you're gonna do a, a fantastic job. And if that's where you are budget-wise, then fantastic. Like that's what you should do. Uh, but if you have a budget that allows for it, I think the True Invisible is something that shouldn't necessarily have to be qualified. It's just an invisible speaker. It's really, really, really incredible. Um, And it eliminates the aesthetic and some of the spatial issues that you would run into in a traditional system. I don't have to worry about whether or not my stud bays are perfectly lined up. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm off, you know, a foot here or, you know, two feet there or something like that. So the placement becomes more practical and a lot easier uh, in a lot of those cases. Is there more work to do? Sure. Yeah, I get that. But is it really better in the end? A thousand percent. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> they are they are incredible. Um, and just from an install standpoint, too, 
you know, a lot of these, a lot of homes we're going into to retro and people are wanting audio, wanting speakers, an invisible speaker, because you have to cut a substantially larger hole may provide you an easier way to actually put speakers in compared to an in a traditional yes. in wall or in ceiling speaker. So it's kind of one of those things where if you think outside the box a bit, yeah, you, you can, you might have to, you're going to have to, you might have to repair drywall either way. But if I'm going to repair drywall, let's put in something that that doesn't have to be photoshopped out whenever you're trying to sell the house or, <laughs> you know, but also is going to give you that performance and maybe maybe limit the amount of holes that we have to cut. Yeah. And other spaces. A thousand percent. I'm glad you called that out because we often think about retro wire and, you know, from an installation perspective, uh, that's going to be a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult. Well, why? Well, because I don't have access behind the wall. It's behind a wall. <laughs> Yep, or there's a room above me, so I can't right. just I can't just throw the wire up there and catch it, you know. Yep, exactly. So uh, it's true if you have to cut out a, a 14 inch wide, 14 and three quarter inch wide by you know 17 or whatever it is, uh, or 20 or 24 or, or you know that kind kind mm -hmm. of a, that larger size. Now you've got room. You can see you can you can do a lot more things, and uh, of course they just get filled right back up. All right. Well, I realize it was a pretty heavy uh, technical episode, but uh, I think we covered a ton of really, really good stuff. Uh, and I'm really hoping that uh, folks will kind of zoom to uh, the questions that they have specific. And I hope it's genuinely helpful for you guys uh, to kind of see some of the differences and understand some of the differences in these technologies. Uh, so that as you're thinking through your next project, you can say, yeah, you know what? I'd really love to have multi-channel stereo for my sports themed room. Uh, as opposed to surround sound, right? Or I'd love to have dedicated surround, right, for my uh, dedicated movie theater. Or I, you know what? Maybe a Bluetooth speaker isn't a good idea if I'm trying to get it across, you know, three floors. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should uh, look at a Wi-Fi system uh, instead of a Bluetooth one. So, all right. Well, uh, again, please uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends. Do all the social things. And uh, this has been The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, and we will see you guys on the next episode.